Yeah, and ultimately you have the, the sympathetics and the parasympathetics, right? They should be in complete balance. Most people believe that they're sympathetic dominant. I believe that people are parasympathetic inhibited because of that structure. So we're fighting, trying to relax, but our, our adrenal glands are still an issue. And there are all of these things now that when you take that imbalance in the sympathetics and the parasympathetics, you carry that into the bed. And that's why people don't sleep well because of that imbalance. Welcome back to the Energized with Dr. Marisa podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marisa, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones, optimize your metabolic health, and feel energized in your body so that you can age powerfully and wake up feeling amazing in your body for many years to come. Let's jump on in. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through this super mineral so quickly. Now this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my Essentially Whole Magnesium Restore Supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code PODCAST and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. Picture this. It's a typical Thursday night, and you've had a crazy busy day, running from one commitment to the next, balancing work, family, friends, and yourself, and all you want is to get some deep restorative sleep. I know that's all I'm looking for. Now, you settle in with a movie or a good book and a mug of herbal tea, and finally, it is time to wind down and get some sleep, but then... You're laying in bed and the minutes just tick by. You're still awake. If you do drift off, you jolt awake minutes or hours later and the cycle restarts all over again. And then the night sweats start. You wake up in a panic because you just can't seem to get cool fast enough, right? The clothes come off, the sheets fly off. You're just trying to get back to sleep. What feels like this should be so simple, right, becomes so unreachable. Why is it so hard to get deep, restful sleep, especially for us women in perimenopause and menopause? I know that recent statistics show that 89% of women in their 40s and 50s struggle to get consistent, deep sleep. And so what ends up happening is the next day you wake up foggy, you wake up irritated, you wake up just off, right? And we end up drinking a ton of coffee or black tea, or maybe it's some chocolate to just get through the day. And the cycle continues. It's obvious for so many of us that sleep issues can totally derail our day. It can feel so frustrating at night, so tired all day. And honestly, how many of us are desperate for anything that will get us a few extra hours of peace and rest because our bodies are desperate for it. And here's something I know every woman can agree on. Stubborn belly fat can feel like the worst, especially when you've tried everything to lose it. Not to mention, belly fat can be dangerous for us too. According to a brand new study, women over 40 who have excessive belly fat are up to 20% more likely to suffer a heart attack. And no surprise, hormones are involved in belly fat production which is actually good news because we can optimize your hormones and metabolism for a flatter stomach. And that's exactly what I'm offering to you as a free gift today. My belly slim down guide gives you three effective strategies to get rid of belly fat, along with recipes to reduce bloating, balance your blood sugar, and speed up your metabolic furnace to optimize fat burning. So grab the belly slim down guide with my proven protocols and recommendations and recipes now at drmarisa.com slash slim down. That's drmarisa.com slash slim down. And the link will be in the show notes. Fortunately, as I mentioned, it gets even worse 
as women go through perimenopause and menopause due to declining hormones and deregulated cortisol issues, not to mention blood sugar deregulation, all kinds of things that are leading to us getting that inconsistent sleep at night. So today I wanted to bring on a sleep expert, Dr. Peter Martone, to address the biggest pillars of sleep and offer some pretty effective strategies to get to sleep and stay asleep so that you're getting that restorative, deep, restful sleep that actually has you feeling good in the morning. Now, before I bring him on, I want to quickly share a little bit about Peter. So Dr. Peter Martone is an educator, injury prevention specialist, and patient care health practitioner who focuses on improving patient biomechanics for over 23 years. Dr. Martone believes that the structure of your spine affects the function of the central nervous system, and this interference can be a root cause problem for sleep issues and so many other chronic problems that people face. Dr. Martone now uses these principles as a cornerstone to help get people way better sleep. His techniques have been featured on CBS, NBC, Fox News, and over 60-plus international podcasts. And what he's going to be sharing are some incredible strategies to help people regain their health in bed by getting way better sleep. I'm going to welcome Dr. Peter Martone to the show. Welcome to the Energize Podcast, Dr. Peter Martone. How are you doing today? I know that you are in the midst of a storm in Boston. <laughs> Listen, got to make the best of it right after this. I'll be doing a, a one of my first uh, snow mountain bike rides in the woods. So uh, it's, you know, when it, when it snows, you got to make it take advantage of the weather that uh, Mother Nature gives you. I love that so, so much. Um, well, I want to just first connect in, you know, sleep being a major issue for so many people, particularly for for my women. But I was curious, like, what was the impetus? Like, what got you into your passion around helping people sleep better, helping people get a better night's sleep? Well, you know, it's really interesting how life makes you zigzag into where you are. I'm not in the sleep industry because I wanted to help people sleep better. Really believe in that. I'm in the sleep industry to correct a problem that I saw after 24 years of, of being in private practice and personal injury to myself. So, you know, I'm a kinesiologist. I love the study of biomechanics, right, with exercise physiology and a chiropractor. So I always loved the way that the body functioned. And what people would come to me for is really ingrained health issues where somebody would have hormonal imbalance or somebody would have severe digestion issues or temperature dysregulation or hypersensitivities. These aren't things that you normally think about going to a chiropractor for. But when you look at the, the nervous system controlling everything in the human body, the structure of your spine plays a significant role in the function of the central nervous system, which is something in, in, in our current health paradigm we don't really you know dive into too much. So I was in when I was a, a young boy, I was in high school, I was in an auto accident and didn't put two and two together. But from that point on, I had digestion issues until I had met a chiropractor when I was going to medical school. And he's like, what do you just what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm going to medical school. Did you ever, ever think about chiropractic? I'm like, no, I never really even thought about it. I went to a chiropractor when I was younger and it really didn't sit well with me. So I'm good. And then so but he he convinced me to get adjusted. And when I got adjusted, my digestive problem went away. In putting two and two together and understanding that structure, I found, holy mackerel, the alignment of the spine really plays a role in the integrity of the, and the health of the nervous system. So fast forward, most people that came into that come into my office all come in with the same problems most of the time because they're living the same lifestyle. And it was frustrating while I was adjusting people and adjusting people and adjusting people, and they were good while I was adjusting them, but when we try to tail them off of adjustments, their symptomatology would come back and it would really frustrate me because I felt like I was just an aspirin for no pun intended, right? Getting rid of the symptom, but, the, but not really addressing the fundamental functional cause. Until I herniated my own disc, reviewed 3000 x-rays and found that the body adapts based on neurology in patterns. And I found that I had this forward head posture due to the way I was sleeping. And that caused a psoas major muscle spasm, and which caused my disc to weaken because it attaches directly to the disc. So then I theorized, wait, I can correct this at night, potentially for eight hours, if I can put my head in the right position. 
And when I started doing that, and then I started implementing that in private practice and really starting to get people to do only one lifestyle habit, and that's change the way they sleep, their results transformed. And after years and years and looking at this, now we're able to get results that we we're never able to get to in long lasting because we're changing the way people's lives through maximizing their performance in the bed. Okay, so it's alignment in, in the bed that you're finding, if, if it's the proper alignment in bed for that eight hours, there's other areas that are getting improved because the, you're improving the central nervous system, particularly the cervical spine and, and what's connecting through there. And particularly the vagus nerve is really where most of the improvement. Yes, which is probably where your digestive issues were stemming from, I'm guessing. Exactly. The normal structure of the spine, right? We should have a curve in our neck. It shouldn't be straight. So we should have a curve. And as long as we maintain a curve, the, the body posture adjusts to head position, which is a law called the writing reflex, you'll have a nice straight spine. Due to the way we sleep and being on a computer all day long and kids being on cell phones all day long, we're always, we always have this head down posture. And then we're sleeping in a position that we think is comfortable for us, but it's more that you feel safe and protected in that position. So you sleep in a position that reinforces the daily activities that you're doing. And what we find is most people are losing that cervical structure. When you lose the cervical structure, you affect three very specific areas in the body. And when a person has an issue with one of these, you typically have an issue with all three. That's the immune system, the digestive system, and the hormonal system or the reproductive system. You affect all three of those because when you affect the curve of the cervical spine, you affect the function of the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve turns on all three of those systems. So let's talk about position then. How, how can we protect the vagus nerve and obviously the rest of the, the nerves in the cervical spine, then those are heading all the way down, right? So what's going through the cervical spine is going everywhere. But most importantly, the vagus nerve, which is impact, and our, also our sympathetic nervous system as well, right? The vagus nerve has a huge part to play there. So our stress response system can absolutely be whacked out if our vagus nerve is being deregulated or is being impinged in some way. Yeah, and, and ultimately you have the, the sympathetics and the parasympathetics, right? There should be a complete balance. Most people believe that they're sympathetic dominant. I believe that people are parasympathetic inhibited because of, because of that structure. So we're fighting, trying to relax, but our, our adrenal glands is still an issue. You know, and, and there are all of these things now that when you take that imbalance in the sympathetics and the parasympathetics, you carry that into the bed. And that's why people don't sleep well because of that imbalance. And in order to fix that imbalance, Unfortunately, especially the, the older that we are and the more ingrained these patterns are, it's very difficult to try to change a sleeping position as you get older. People can do it, but it's very difficult. So what I tell people to do is I say, when, when we go over these sleeping positions and, and how to improve your sleep and how to improve that balance, especially temperature regulation at night, because when your hormones are off, you're going to... Yeah, hot flashes, night sweats. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Because of the, um, you know, that one of the reasons we don't get good sleep is my body's not comfortable. It's in pain or temperature regulation. And so that imbalance needs to be corrected by sleeping in a very specific position. And actually, it's not even a position. It, it's, it's a posture. And then you only need to focus on, don't focus on the whole night, focus on the first 10 minutes or the first hour of when you go to sleep. And then let the body do what it's going to do in the middle of the night. The lifestyle habit is to put yourself in the right position every single night. Okay. So what is the right position? Is it, I'm wondering if it's the position I'm using. <laughs> Before we get into the position, I also... Want to tell? I want to be very, very clear on on. It's not like side, back, or stomach, right? That's a that's a position. It's more understanding the posture that we're going to put you in, because any time you support the body, 
you're going to make the body weaker. Anything you support in the body, right? So the body works under the ad, the, the law is if you don't use it, you lose it. So if you use a back support, you make the muscles weaker. Use one of those things that stretch out the, the shoulders and you know for your posture, you're gonna take it off and those muscles are going to be weaker. You put a sneaker on, which is a support for the foot, you're gonna collapse an arch. So support weakens anytime you weaken the body. A pillow defined is a support for your head. So anytime you support the head with a pillow, you're going to break down the structure of the, the, the spine. So the body responds to stress, whether it's distress or eustress. Eustress is a positive stress. Distress is a negative stress. Distraction is a type of stress. So we want to gently distract the neck using the weight of the head to be able to stretch a curve into the neck while you sleep. So how do you do that? Picture like, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but when you look at what a pillow used to be, it used to be the cervical spine. I know I'm using the word supported, but then the head hangs off of that support. So that using the weight of a head like a slinky to distract or gently stretch a curve back into the neck. And I will show you that right now. So basically what you're doing is you're taking a pillow, you're putting it under your neck. I'm using a neck nest. And then you, it, you're supporting the, the neck, but the weight of the head is gently stretching back. So it's not on the, on the bed. It's about an inch off of the bed. So you're using a pillow under your neck and you're not supporting your head. You're allowing that head to hang off the back of that pillow. Does that make sense? And then by that using that gentle distraction, let's say you can't fall asleep like that because you don't know how to air, manage your airway or you have sleep apnea. There are different ways and we have programs to help people become, you know, to, to become a back sleeper with that support under their neck. There are ways to address that, but just focus on doing that for an hour a night. Because if you are able to stretch that cervical curve into your neck, you're going to start to regain tone within that vagus nerve. Okay. And that is different than a cervical pillow. Let's say someone has a cervical pillow, not a specific type of like a prototype pillow like that, uh, but a, is there some benefit to that if someone has been sleeping? I call it sleeping like a vampire, which is how I sleep because I had a lot of cervical problems when I was a little girl. I was in car accidents and things happened to my neck. And so I had an anterior curve, which we worked really hard to get back to a cervical curve. So it was going the other direction. Um, but I've slept on cervical pillows my whole life and variations of them. Um, but what I learned from a really young age is to sleep. I, I literally sleep like a vampire. Like the, nothing moves around me. I don't move in my bed <laughs> to protect my cervical spine. So I was curious. X-rays have demonstrated that it has been beneficial for me, but I know that this goes a little bit, it's a step more. Like my, my head doesn't just hang off the pillow. There's obviously a pillow below, like it has a, you know, a, a hump or a little bump, you know. And that's what most of the problem is, is there, you're still supporting the head. So if you support the head, and you support the spine at the same time, you're weakening that structure of that curve. You, you want to use some sort of stress, right? You want the body under some sort of stress. So what I mean by that is light distraction. So let's say you get, you have like a normal pillow, right? Regular pillow. So most people use it and they put their head on. I have my patients use it at an angle. So what you would do is you put a normal pillow straight up, right? So it's on its edge. And then what you would do is you would take it and you put it under your neck. So you're creating that stretching of the neck off of the back of the pillow. And like I said, again, that's going to the angle of your neck, most people say, oh, I'll snore in that position. You will only snore if your, your, your chin drops and then the airway is able to close down and you get that uvula vibration and, and into the nose. If the head is up, 
and the airways open and you do stuff to manage the, the jaw, like put covers up underneath the jaw or some people use mouth tape. There's different things that you can do to keep the mouth shut or, you know, suck your tongue to the roof of your mouth and then put the covers under there. Then by keeping that airway closed in that neck in that distracted position, instead of being in that position for one hour before you turn, it'll be two hours or then three hours. Then you extrapolate that over seven days and that's 14 hours and then, you know, 40 hours. So the more you can be in that position, not necessarily that you have to sleep in that position the entire night, as your body gets used to that and you start to bring that head back, then you want to work on your balance. You want to work on a wobble board to retrain the body's proprioception or the body's balance um, sensors to be able to have more of an upright posture. So you couple sleeping on your back with a pillow under your neck, with working on a wobble board and working on your balance, you put both of those together. Now we can talk about the beneficial effects that sleeping position has on hormonal balances in temperature regulation. I won't even work with patients on that until we start to improve the structure because you have so much parasympathetic inhibition that the, the hormonal system's out of balance most of the time in those patients. Well, I mean, well, hormones are imbalancing in women because they're going through perimenopause and menopause too. Like that, that's called ovarian <laughs> decline as well. But I do agree that structure, there's a major structural component to a lot of, of our health and well-being, and particularly around the vagus nerve. And I think a lot of people, you know, are looking for a lot of different solutions around getting deep, more deep, restful sleep and the impact it's having on their body and not really thinking about structural components of it. I know for me, the structure of how I sleep has been super critical. My husband sleeps like a crazy person. Like, I mean, like, I don't know how all of our covers are off the bed every single... I mean, I know. I absolutely know how. I mean, I don't know how he does it because I that is not the case for me. But my my husband and my son do circles in bed and I just lay right there. And so it's really interesting the idea of even retraining somebody because I feel like someone like my husband, Alex, like I can see how he would be like, that's not even, I couldn't, I can't do that. Like that's not a possibility. Whereas I, like you mentioned, you know, from starting at an earlier age, because it was such a big part of making sure my neck was working properly. I kind of trained myself from an early age to, to, to at least sleep supine with some type of support not exactly the way that you do it. Um, I need to, I obviously need to up level, upgrade the way that I'm doing it. But um, I feel like it's had a, a, a definitely more profound impact on the quality of sleep I've had. Yeah, no, absolutely. But like, like we were talking about in, and I was a side sleeper my whole life. I had shoulder problems. I had hip issues. And it wasn't until I herniated my disc and the why became big. If the why is big enough, the what doesn't matter, right? So so your why was, you know, you were young and you had, you know, you had issues, those car accidents and, and you've trained yourself to sleep on your back. The reason somebody tosses and turns and they're all over the place is because they're starting in a position that is not sustainable. They're starting into a position, the body tosses and turns most of the side for reason, sorry, most people will toss and turn 20 to 40 times a night. And that's because the body's in pain and it's in pain because of the position that you're in. So I give people uh, the, the challenges. I'll say, oh, they're like, oh, I sleep on my right side. Okay, perfect. How long do you stay in that position? Oh, I stay in that position all night. Great. What I want you to do is I want you to try to watch a two-hour movie in the position you think you stay asleep in. And it's not possible because you're in a position where the forces are, are trend, trend, they're, they're going across the joint plane lines, which causes pain, so you, your body shifts. And then you, once you start shifting, you're not in control where you end up because it's all happening subconsciously. So then you'll sleep on your side. Then you'll move this arm and then you'll move your arms. And you, be, and you get this restless sleep that is not energizing in the morning because your body hasn't got into deep sleep because you, it's tossing and turning all night long. And that's what we try to, we try to put you into a neutral sleeping position or a corrective sleeping position where we're giving your body the best chance of success. And all we're teaching our patients is just start like that. 
And then how you end up is how you end up. How you use your covers. You know, you know, you don't want to share covers with your spouse because he's a heater and you're a heater. So you want to have your own covers so that you your body can temperature regulate your own body heat. Got it. That makes sense. And interesting. You know, I, I when I think about sleep, gosh, I come if, I come from it from so many other angles too. I know positioning matters. I guess I figured because I've known so many, you know, my own patients that they're just like, I don't control any of that. Like, that's the one thing I, you know, is there other, other tools? Cause I, I just do what I do when I'm sleeping. But what's interesting I hadn't ever thought about was that at least start yourself in that position. You know, for, for me, it's always, that's, except for when I, I was telling you before we started this conversation that we still three years into our son being here on this planet, we still co-sleep with our son. And um, I woke up last night and he likes to sleep. Usually my, you know, right now my husband's taking one for the team. They're both in the queen bed in my son's room and I get the king bed. I get my own bed. Um, but last night, occasionally my son wants me. And so I think it was like four in the morning. I wake up after he'd been in a bed with me. He sleeps in here, right here. His tan is down my shirt, <laughs> just to be honest. <laughs> and his little legs are wrapped between my legs. And this is how my son wants to sleep. And so I woke up and my fingers were numb. Um, and so I had to like slink my way out of my, you know, my son. So what do you, what do you tell parents, you know, who are going through this gap? <laughs> you know, and obviously some parents don't sleep with their children as long as we are, but I'm just curious. Listen, my, my, I don't even want to tell you how long my kids slept in the bed, but so let's unpack that a little bit. Tell me why you believe he's sleeping like that. Oh, um, I would say I'm, well, I breastfed him until he was two and a half. So uh, until like six months ago. Um, so that's probably one of the reasons. So he was used to kind of like sleeping like that since he was a baby baby. And mind you, he does when I, you know, once he's asleep, sleep, we can kind of slink out. But I think it's attachment. I think he just feels the most safe when he's cuddled with us. You absolutely just said it, right? He feels protected. So being up into his safe area that feels protected. So when we fall asleep at a fundamental level, most people fall asleep and they want to feel safe. And that's how he sleeps, 100%. Right, it's like the ostrich sticking its head in the ground. It sticks, it, it needs pressure. And what does safety stimulate, sympathetics or parasympathetics? Para. Right? So when we sleep, do we need sympathetic dominance or parasympathetic dominance? We need parasympathetic. <laughs> So what he's doing innately is he's creating this safe position that's stimulating his parasympathetics, which puts him into a safe place. Like I, I think I might have mentioned earlier, we believe we fall asleep because we feel comfortable in that position. Your body doesn't feel comfortable. It feels safe in that position. So that's why we fall asleep in these, these things. So when you sleep on your back, that's exposure. It's like like... We don't want that exposure because we don't feel safe. We don't feel safe in different planes of, uh, this kind of goes into a little bit of mental health, but this, so we want to feel safe. So how can we create safety in the position that where where, where I'm putting you in that I want you to put it because I have ADD. One of the fundamental issues with ADD is you need to keep thinking. Nothing's safe, right? Because you're always nothing's safe. There's always a worry, especially if you're a parent, like you mentioned. And there's all kinds of worries at night. <laughs> so the best way to create safety is using pressure. So you use pressure on your eyes, pressure on your forehead. That in itself, we've done studies, and it stimulates the it stimulates well the heart rate variability is a way to stimulate the balance between the sympathetics and the parasympathetics. You will improve your HRV by just using pressure against your eyes, what, sleeping all night long. Then you put pillows on your chest. You put pillows to the side of you. With my daughter that had an issue sleeping um, because she, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, has the same brain as me. Yeah, I'm curious because, you know, obviously our little one who's just three, you know, he, this is this is his safe spot. And, and we love that. We we love that, that he loves that. Obviously, our sleep is I'm not going to lie. You know, it could, could, could be... I, like I said, I, when I'm not with him, I sleep how I've been sleeping since I was a little girl, which was what I was trained for. But when I'm sleeping with him, he's just this little cuddle bug. 
But I know that I'm curious, like, you know, when, when we're children too, is it something that we should be mindful of in the coming years? Well, my daughter, I believe was 10 when she got out of the bed, both of them, but, but it's okay. So how did, how, how did I do it? I'm like, all right, this is what we have to do. So to each his own. So you create safety with their stuffed animals. This is how I did it as a kid. This is what I did with them. Give each one of them a power, right? You know, the turtle had a shield. Nothing could penetrate the shield. I had to put it over a head. And then like the rabbit was like, was, was the watch rabbit. So you create this, so they feel safe with you because they feel protected. So if you can create this protected environment, ultimately, when you think about us as adults, we don't really, I mean, we were always told to go to bed. We were never taught how to sleep. We're taught to just go to sleep. And we put ourselves to sleep uh, subconsciously the same way to feel protected. So, so that's why people like when they're like, my kids go to college, they bring their stuffed animal, right? You know, because I don't care. It's still a sense of safety and, and connection. So that's what you have to create. You don't tell people how to sleep. You look beyond that and you give them the tools that allow them to sleep. So you, you, you know, what are the fundamental core reasons? Pain, safety, temperature regulation, and airway management. If I know that's the reason people don't get good sleep and they can't get out of their own brains, um, I know now to give them solutions that they don't realize it, but I'm talking to their subconscious brain, allowing them to be safe when they sleep. That's really fascinating. I, I hadn't even thought about that. I'm so glad we kind of went full circle in that direction because I think a lot of people feel it, it is their upregulated cortisol that's not allowing melatonin to come on in in the evening that is keeping them up. I think every woman is like, you know, so often we're wired and tired. We're solving our children's problems. We're solving the world's problems. And so, and we think that's the reason, or like you said, temperature you know, regulation issues where women are having night sweats and hot flashes. And the other thing is, yeah, people are just uncomfortable and they're, and they're in pain. They don't know it, but they're constantly readjusting themselves at night and that's kind of waking them up. And so I know this is one of the tools and, and as I'm considering it more and more, I'm realizing how powerful this tool is, a tool that a lot of us aren't really thinking about. Do, do you find in all the work that you've done around sleep that this is probably the most powerful tool to help people sleep? Are there other ways that you're helping them as well, you know, in conjunction? The number one reason people don't sleep well is, you know, one of them is obviously temperature regulation. A major, major one is sleep position, right? That's getting restful sleep. Well, why don't, why aren't people able to get to sleep? Because in our culture, in our society, we like to be in control, right? So in being in control, we love to think and we love to rationalize. Well, when you're thinking, the bloods in the front portion of the brain, which is the prefrontal cortex, our sleep centers are in the back part of your brain. You need to figure out a way to get the blood out of here and back to here in order to get to sleep. And because we like to be in control of something, I teach my patients, don't be in control of thinking, be in control of, of remembering. So if you can't think yourself to sleep, but you can remember yourself to sleep. So if you think about a good thing in the past and you focus on it, like me, I, I, I love to run like a bobcat and I fix my yard and I, you know, I feel so soothed when I do that and I put the dirt down and I created this masterpiece. I go over that in this, this was 10 years ago, you know, eight years ago. And I go over it over and over and over and over and over every single time. Once you put yourself to sleep on a memory, it's easier to put yourself to sleep on the same memory. And we just recently had a Christmas party. There was 101 people there. How do I know that? I go through every night and I count them. I categorize them in friends at the lake. I categorize them in my wife's friends. And then you know, we have family friends and then we have cousins in my brain counts of my mountain biking friends. So I count them in groups. I'm asleep before I even get to 80. Yeah. Recently, even in the time that, you know, I've, I've actually been a pretty good, at least I've felt like I've been a pretty good sleeper. Like I haven't had an issue falling asleep, but I, you know, I, as I, as I mentioned to you before this, I'm, I'm definitely in, I'm heading into, into definitely in perimenopause. And I've noticed 
that there's, again, more sporadic, maybe once every couple weeks that I'm having a harder time falling asleep and I have sleep meditations. I have a lot of things and, but my mind is running. I hadn't even thought about, I've been trying to, honestly, I've been trying to count. I'm like, what's going to get it done? Like, what are some of these strategies? My meditations aren't working anymore. Like it's been really fascinating to kind of embark in this journey. And I'm almost at a point where I'm a little bit in denial. I'm like, maybe this isn't really happening to me yet. But I hadn't thought of an idea, the idea of remembering because my mind is very much racing, racing around the idea of like, how do I get myself to sleep? I find myself kind of fixated around that more than anything else. So I'm excited to try this. Yeah, no, it's great. And then we created uh, the, this, this thing in one of our programs called the sleep memory. So Work today, right? Or or a day, doesn't have to be today. Go for a walk. Go do something for a few hours with the intention that you're going to put yourself to sleep on that memory. So walk, smell the flowers, do, you know, take some pictures, do something for a few hours. Walk around the lake, create a good memory, smell the roses, sit down, meditate in a beautiful area. You won't be able to put yourself to sleep that night on it. What I find is that it has to get categorized. <laughs> you have to have a to sleep on the, it has to, the, it has to go through a sleep cycle, but think about it the following night. A lot of times I'll do, I'll, I'll take myself around my entire mountain bike and loop that I did the night, the two nights before. And I'll, I'll, I'll go up the hill, I'll go down the hill. Problem is if it's really like we, sometimes we do some really uh, adrenaline releasing stuff. So it can't be like, it can't elicit an adrenal response, but it needs to just be uh, just a remembering of that memory and then do it over and over again. You'll go to sleep like that. And more importantly, you'll stay asleep because your body's not fighting between the thing that was on your mind and what you're remembering. And it's a constant battle back and forth a lot of times. I really appreciate that tip, that strategy. It sounds amazing. And I, and I feel like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely try it tonight. Another thing I wanted to ask you, Peter, you know, in terms of timing, I think I think a lot of us are learning that we can't just race into bed. You know, we're not 20 anymore. We're not in college <laughs> or we just pass out. But do you recommend, I usually give myself an hour. Like if I want to be in bed, I'd be asleep by 10. I am in bed at nine so that I am on my pillow. I am, I am like priming my nervous system, my vagus nerve, my parasympathetic system for rest. Is that something you recommend, especially when you're talking about reprogramming, positioning, and patterning, neuro neuro patterning around sleep? Do you recommend that as well? You know, if people take the time to really gear themselves up for rest? So your body is tied more into circadian rhythm, right? Inconsistency. So you want to be really focused on the same time every night go to bed same time every night. You don't want that to vary too much on the weekends. Maybe you can, but you want to shoot for the same, go to bed at the same time. Your melatonin release at the same time, independent of any ritual that you have. Now, certain things that will create somber is heat, right? And then the cooling of your body temperature. So one of the major things that we want to occur in order to get in, you know, in order to get to sleep quickly, is we want our body temperature to cool quickly. Obviously, in different portions of our life, it's very difficult because there are hormonal hormonal things that are occurring that keep that core temperature up. Estradiol, aye, aye, aye. yeah. <laughs> so what are ways that we can manage that? Because as far as the amount of time you go to bed, you want to, I mean, I don't really like, well, I do, maybe I'll do about a half an hour of, of, of watching something sometimes in bed, but I really like to have all the lights off in my room, you know, and, and we keep, we, we usually go through ki- to candlelight within, you know, once, you know, a certain time of night hits, it's, you know, candlelight or, or light, low light situations in our house. Yeah, same with us. In doing that, can minimize that length of time that you need to spend in bed, but you want to regulate that temperature. So what I have people do in some, some of these work better for others. So that's why you either take a hot shower if you're having a difficult time and then your body actually cooling 
is a way to uh, trigger somber, or you take a cold shower if your body runs too hot, and that cooling of that shower, then you jump into bed, and then your body is going to be tired for a certain period of time. Because when your body temperature drops, it stimulates uh, mel- it, more melatonin to be released. So that's why we do, I know my, my mother-in-law is always like, a hot dunk, like put the boy, look, you have a little boy, in the bath, and then take him out. It, it's fascinating, like the, the level of sleep routine we have for our son is so crazy. And it's it's same time where we are, we are on it, like to a T. And I thought, you know, I, I was like, I feel like adults, we need this level of sleep routine to really prime our circadian rhythm, you know, dim lights, all of it, a hot bath. And then, you know, you put them in the pajamas, all the things, you know, and then only reading, no phone, no nothing in the, in the room. Yeah. And, and then a big thing for health is basically a concept I call the allostatic ladder. There's a, there, there's something that's called allostatic load. Basically, if the body is in too much stress, certain areas are going to shut down, right? So there's a hierarchy of survival organs in your body. And so, for instance, you can stick your hand in ice for 15 minutes. You put your entire body in ice and you drop your core temperature, you'll have what's called hypothermia, right? So your body only really cares about the temperature from here to here. Your hands and your feet, those are just radiators, right? So you keep your hands and your feet out of the covers. You might want to warm up at the very beginning and have everything under, but when, like right before it's time to go to sleep, hands and your feet out of the covers, then your body will temperature regulate out your extremities. You don't just want to sleep with no clothes on and, 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 and have your body exposed to the environment because allostatically your body's still fighting to keep its core temperature up, which will suppress immunity, digestion, and reproduction. And it will, it will, it will throw the body out of balance. So I like the idea of hands and your feet out of the covers and keep a thick blankets over your chest. And does this shift at all, you know, just talking about circadian rhythm and temperature regulation for the winter, you're in a storm right now, right? And it's, even though I'm in San Diego, it's still colder than normal, you know, than I'm used to most of the year. And so are there considerations around that? One, it's darker earlier. It's very dark right now and it's colder. And so, you know, in terms of managing the the thermostat, the heater, you know, I feel like we've got a little, a little system going on, but I'm really mindful of the circadian rhythms of my entire family, especially my son. So are there considerations that we should have for wintertime versus, you know, spring and summer? Well, you know, the, you have to, we have to understand, right? I, I think it's like our ancestry. So you look back in our ancestry and most people that are going to have, let's say, sleep issues, right? We get our shift workers, we're going to have people, you know, that are in these high light situations. So, but ultimately, we really should be going to sleep close to when the sun goes down. Right. When, like when it's dark, it sh- we should be in bed. <laughs> so we have these artificial lights keeping us up and we don't have enough sunlight to energize our bodies. So everybody's like, oh, vitamin D deficiency. No, you're chronically fatigued because you're you're staying up. Everybody looks at, a, they, they, we look at like this minute, vitamin as the problem. Oh, you're deficient in there. So you don't have that. Let's holistically look at what's causing the imbalance because I don't believe our body makes mistakes, right? I believe that our body adapts to the external stresses, right? Epigenetics. So our body is consistently adapting to the external stressors and then our genetic code, uh, our code, uh, you know, adapts to that. So if we look at what the dysfunction is, we got to look at, well, let's go back to our ancestral roots and see what's happening. So we want to go to bed earlier. I always give a talk, um, it, and it's it's right around the, the time change, right? The, the Monday after a time change, it's the car, your, car, your risk of cardiac incident increases by 20%. And that's just a one-hour change in going to bed at a, at a different time. And then you're going to see people get sick two, three, and four weeks afterwards because their bodies, you know, they're not able to handle that imbalance. So we want to go to bed earlier in the wintertime, stay in bed longer. So I get an extra half an hour of sleep instead of nine hours. A lot of times, or eight and a half hours, I get nine hours, nine and a half hours during the wintertime. And I get less right around eight hours during the summertime. 
Okay. Thank you. I so appreciate that. And then the other thing around circadian rhythm, and like you said, yeah, do we really have a vitamin D deficiency or are mitochondria not getting the sunlight that they absolutely need to function during the day when the sun is out? And so I, I had, a, I was interviewing another sleep expert, you know, a little while ago. And one of the things that they said is that sleep starts in the morning that sleep starts when you go outside within the first you know, half hour to hour, getting that direct sunlight on your body is what helps to reset those circadian rhythms so that you're firing off that cortisol awakening response and that you're, you're creating that, that cortisol to melatonin balance. Obviously, you need to respect the evening as well, but you know it, it starts in the morning. I was curious... Dr. Martone, what you, how you felt about that? Well, you know, I don't know if you've ever had that, that lazy, lazy, lazy day. It's raining outside. You might not feel good and you don't, and you do, you just stay inside, you watch TV, you binge a show. And then when bedtime comes around, you're really thrown off because, you know, your body didn't have that just as much as we need natural rhythms during the uh, night. We need rhythms during the day sun exposure, right? How how many times have you, you know, I mean, in San Diego, summertime comes around, you're in the sun all day, you're, you're on the boat or you're doing something, then you're exhausted that night. Then why does that happen? It's because if the sun doesn't drain you of energy, you've just had so much energy during the day, your body, it, you know, it's like an iPhone, right? The more apps you want, you have on your phone or your, your smartphone, the more you need to plug it in at night. Right. So if you have this low energy, non you know, sluggish day, you didn't expend a lot of energy, it throws your system off. But if you consistently have an exercise program, you get an exposure to the sun and you're expending energy, the body is going to recharge at night. And that's where you're going to get you really good deep sleep patterns, because not everybody gets unbelievable deep sleep every single night. Deep sleep is where your body recharges and repairs. So the more that you use it, the higher your deep sleep numbers are going to be. Thank you. That's what I, yeah, I really loved that kind of that reaffirming of um, how we can really tend to our bodies and tend to our rhythms to support what in our mitochondria, you know, because ultimately so many people just feel exhausted and fatigued. That's really the issue. And I am curious about your stance on daylight saving. I mean, do you think we should get rid of it for the most part? I mean, I can't stay, I hate it, <laughs> especially as a parent. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it, but really ultimately the reason why it affects people so much and their immune systems are affected is because we're running, we're running, burning the candles at both ends so much that our sympathetics and our parasympathetic uh, balance can't regulate. So when you turn back the clock, you're actually going to bed an hour earlier, right? And no, you're going to bed an hour later. And then if you're going to bed an hour eight, later and you're waking up an hour earlier, well, most people go to sleep based on the clock. So they'll stay up and they'll, they'll, they'll stay up to what the clock says, but their circadian rhythm is still waking them up. They might be able to sleep in, but one, you know, once you wake up at your same time, it's so hard to go back to sleep. It's subtracting an hour of sleep because you know, you're trying to work on the clock, but it's easy to force yourself to stay up, but it is not easy to put yourself back to sleep once you wake up an hour early. And that's why I think it, we need to just pick a time and stick with it. Maybe half an hour right in the middle or whatever it is. I agree. And I love that you said consistency. And I, I know some people can get a little, so, you know, like they say, not even weekends. You have wiggle room, especially if sleep is an issue for you that like, if it's nine o'clock, it's nine o'clock across the board. And also for our little ones, like, for our son, it's just across, we try to do across the board as much as possible because his little, our little, our systems, they don't necessarily recover if we do later nights on the weekends and then try to get back into our normal routine during the weekday. The other thing I wanted to ask you, because I believe, I do agree, circadian rhythm, the how we're sleeping at night, regulating our temperature, managing our stress response system, heart rate variability, you know, the vagus nerve. And like you said, I, I hadn't even thought about parasympathetic kind of restriction versus just we're over sympathetic in that system. So that that was a really, I'm really fascinated by that as well. But are there any other, like supplementation, do you at all recommend supplementation if people are really struggling in getting to sleep? Or do you recommend just regulating their circadian rhythm, trying, doing the memory exercise where they're remembering 
to go to sleep before they step into any other modalities? That is a great question. We, we have a supplement called deep sleep, right? So I put a lot of work on creating a supplement, but this supplement is not designed to put you to sleep, right? It's not designed to knock you out because what in, what ends up happening is people take something to like melatonin or they'll take something to knock themselves out and they'll get eight hours of sleep, but our body requires these natural, these natural waves, right? We need deep sleep and and we need deep sleep and shallow, you know, shallow sleep and then back to deep sleep and shallow sleep, right? And then REM sleep. So if you take something that knocks you out, drink alcohol to put yourself out, drink a sleep medication, you're going to end up getting eight hours of sleep, but it's not restorative, not rejuvenated, and you're still going to wake up and be in just as bad of a situation as you were, because not all sleep is created equal. So the difference between, let's say, like a deep sleep product, because we use th things like magnesium, right? Magnesium calms your body, right? Settles the central nervous system down. GABA settles the central nervous system down, releases serotonin, it helps the body release serotonin. L-arginine dilates blood vessels, which cools the body temperature. So we're doing things that are supporting what the body needs to do in order to get deep sleep. So my focus or my challenge through my sleep stuff has always been maximizing my deep sleep, right? Because my heart rate tended, it was tending to run a little bit hot. My body, because I exercised a little late and I was eating a little late, tend to run a little hot. And I never dropped my core temperature. My heart rate didn't drop quick enough. So I was too stimulated and I was thinking a lot. Once I started getting into the sleep industry and figuring out, holy mackerel, this is all based on neurology. I have a, I have a, uh, because of how I'm hardwired, I need to offset that. And then, so I don't like supplements that put you to sleep. I like supplements that promote the relaxation and then give you techniques like remember yourself to sleep, things that you haven't tried before. Because once you start doing that one technique, it's going to be a game changer for you for your entire, for the rest of your sleep patterns. I mean, there's so many wonderful things that you've shared here that have been just incredible, but I, that's the thing I am latching onto in particular, because a lot of the things we are, we are doing in our household, just because of what I've learned over the years, but the remembering to sleep is something I'm going to be trying literally tonight. And I agree with you, supplementation that's helping to aid the central nervous system, aid in, in the body relaxing and, and like I said, and regulating temperature in kind of regulating the, you know, your central nervous system and that, like you said, the need to control, you know, and just controlling everything, I think is so, so, so much a big issue for so many of us listening today. And so Peter, thank you. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for ha for coming onto the show and really opening the door for what is possible. I know that there are so many people listening right now who are struggling with sleep issues, whether it's consistently or periodically like myself right now. I feel like you've given us so many ways to really adjust and to ad address it head on. And where can we check you out? I know you have programs. I know you have, you know, I know people are going to want to know, you know, how can I dive into this more outside of the interview? Yeah. So if they go to drsleepright.com, D-R-S-L-E-E-P-R-I-G-H-T, um, what we have there is we have a, a sleep risk assessment. You can see how your sleep patterns are affecting your health. And, and if you're interested in any of our programs or, or, or a specific pill or any of that supplementation, they can find it there and, and there are links to some of our uh, product pages and things like that. Yeah, I will link up to all of that. I know you have a, a page specifically for the pillow. I'll link up to the website as well. You know, your website is really easy to navigate. I went and checked it out earlier today. And so I just want to say thank you for, for coming on and thank you for the work that you're doing. And, um, and I'm so grateful that, you know, even through your own journey, like you really dove into the neurology of all of this because you're absolutely right. Oh, one more question. I just have one more question. I'm so I'm wearing a whoop strap. I like to track. I like to track my heart rate variability. I'm a I'm a recovering stressaholic, and and now I'm a mom. So there's that. And I was curious. Do you recommend even for a month? Because I know a lot of people. I know that they're they don't they're not waking up refreshed. They're not feeling great. Maybe they're having a hard time falling asleep. But they also. I don't know if they necessarily know what's happening during sleep, like what their heart rate variability is or their their core temperature. Do you recommend even for a month something like an aura ring or a whoop strap to get a better sense of, you know, like a sleep score? Like there's nothing more 
kind of alarming than seeing your sleep score in the morning and realizing that's probably a bigger issue than you think. Yeah, there are, you know, in the sleep monitors are only as good as the consistency of what you use them, right? You know, I tend to use an aura ring. I've just been using one for a long time, the Whoop. There are free apps that that monitor your breathing and and there, there are different things that you can use. What I would say is start a sleep journal. I think that's probably one of the best things. So what time did you go to sleep? Did you wake, what time did you wake up? What time was your last glass, glass of water? Are you waking up in the middle of the night to go to bed, like to, to, to urinate? There are specific things that affect our sleep. So you start keep keeping a sleep journal. Then you put a tracker on yourself, right? Whether it's one of the free apps or whether it's a whoop. And it's the consistency of which you use it. And if you're not happy with the energy that you're getting, you can rate your energy from scale one to 10. I'm exhausted. I don't feel well rested. Then what you have to do is then implement techniques to be able to improve whatever it is you're using to monitor. So I'm not really tied into a specific sleep monitor. I just want people to use that as consistency and then get numbers. But yes, you can improve what you don't measure. And as scientists, we love data and I love collecting data. And then once you have the data, then you connect that to uh, symptomatic data, how you're feeling, right? Anecdotal stuff. And then you go and you improve from there. Perfect. That's, I was just curious where your stance was on that because I, I feel like a lot of people just, again, you, you can't improve what you're not measuring. And a lot of us just don't even know where we're landing on all of it and, and how much it's impacting our, our stress response system, our HRV, our body score, our resiliency ultimately. And that's why I love some of these devices is it kind of gives you, you know, real information into how resilient you're going to be that day. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been very eye-opening for me, for sure. Good. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Once you get into the world of sleep and you start to dive into it like I did, it's really a blueprint. There is a blueprint that you can follow to be able to get to sleep quickly, wake up well rested. And it's just being able to do that consistently. Body loves consistency. Body loves cooling your core temperature. And the body likes getting out of your own head and getting back into your memories. You put all those three things together. That's a great place to start. I love it. And I know we didn't even connect into how important sleep is to everything, but I know that you would say that it is important to everything. And I think we all know that inherently. We feel it. But I mean, that's why I wanted to have you on is that it's just a good, this conversation I'm hoping really jogs that the memory of of the importance and that, like you said, the, you know, the research and the data to really back up that there are tools and strategies that can get us consistent, restful nights of sleep can, you know, over time, that's really going to make the difference in our overall health and longevity. Yeah. And the number one reason people don't get a great sleep is because they toss and turn too much and getting the structure correct while you sleep is a game changer. Perfect. Thank you so much, Peter. I so appreciate having you today. Thanks for having me. I don't know about you, but I felt like Dr. Martone shared some pretty epic strategies that I am personally excited to implement. And I really appreciated his knowledge around the pillars of sleep. I felt like he nailed them. Like he really understood why we are struggling to get deep, restful sleep at night. The one thing I would have loved to spend a little bit more time with is on hormone changes and fluctuations for us as women, but ultimately, obviously staying cool, sleep position, calming our central nervous system, vagus nerve stimulation. I mean, all of that really resonates when it comes to getting that deep restorative sleep that every single one of us is looking for. Now, if you want to dive deeper and check out his free sleep risk assessment and get the five pillars of sleep download, just head on to Dr. Sleep right.com. I'll have the link inside the show notes. I know that he's got some really incredible programs to help you get deep, restful sleep. He's got an incredible pillow when he talked about really helping to protect our cervical curve so that we're supporting our vagus nerve and so many other important cranial nerves that are going out of our spine into the rest of our body. I find that 
to be so helpful. So you can check out the pillow. You can check out all of his links inside of the show notes. And again, I mean, the intention is that you are sleeping throughout the night. I know that I have noticed some sleep changes for me recently, and I'm definitely taking my sleep a lot more seriously and really setting myself up for sleep. And I think the one thing that I felt like he really kind of connected into was the intentionality of getting that deep, restful sleep, having the good sleep habits, you know, having things in place, making sure that we're cool enough, in terms of body temperature, especially for us in perimenopause and menopause, and make sure that we have a good sleep position so that we're able to calm our nervous system and help to ensure that our parasympathetic system is working properly for that deep sleep. So if if you're struggling with sleep, be sure to check him out. Also subscribe to the show and rate the show when you get a chance. That way, more women who are struggling with this as well have this beautiful resource to turn to. Until the next episode, have an amazing day.